and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. On today's Christians of History episode, we are going to hear about the illustrious and incredible and something else the homie jerome is that right homie jerome that's actually his his given name uh before (laughs) we get into who we're talking about today i just wanted to give a quick shout out to the csb so that's the christian standard bible uh if you've never heard of the csb um it's a a newer translation uh, of the english uh, of an english variety i guess uh, specifically, the CSB produces a, um, a version of their study Bible called the Ancient Faith Study Bible. Um, I've had it for a long time. I got it when I was still working as a youth pastor, actually. And I don't really remember why I never used it or um, even really opened it. It was like literally sitting in a box with, like underneath like 10 other Bibles in our book stack. And I, I pulled it out and I'm looking through like the table of contents and some of the other things. And I'm like, wow, this is like a super cool resource. Like, reason it's called ancient faith is the study notes are actually running commentaries kind of from like ancient church fathers so you know you can turn to the psalms and read um you know cyril of alexandria and augustine and jerome and athanasius and all these fathers and and church historians and um you can get a glimpse into like their commentary on these texts and so this sort of like fits right in that vein of retrieval for renewal because they might talk about this text in a way that you've never really heard in a way that maybe makes you a little bit uncomfortable but like it shouldn't this has been something that the church has has taught and um, put forth for a really long time and another another really cool feature of this um, ancient faith study bible is um, some of the biographies that they include so they have little brief sketches on some of these major people and just like you and i lucas um next month we're going to be doing our heretics and heresy or heresy and heretics however we're going to call it um this has like it's going to be a good one. Oh, I'm, i can't wait um, but this has sort of like heresy of church history like so every once in a while like you know you'll have adoptionism or um you know arianism or whatever there's a bunch of heresies and then even some of the heretics that that come along with those um so it's just really interesting to read um you know, a little bit of a different lens, I guess, uh, in, in this, in a text that we maybe know very well. So wanted to give that shout out because I'm going to be using, um, the biography of Jerome to sort of assist in talking about Jerome here today. So we'll, we'll, we'll jump in. Um, his, his name isn't homie Jerome. Um, it's Eusebius, right? Eusebius, um, Hieron- Hieronymus Sophronus. Sophronius. <laughs> Easy for me to say, right? Uh, we always have these really, right? Uh, it literally says in here, it says, thankfully, known as Jerome. So even the, even the, the little biographer is like, yeah, this is ridiculous. Uh, but he was nice. born in, oh, here, let me help you out, Lucas, AD 347, and he perished right. in uh, AD 420. Um, so I, I made sure to put the AD in front of <laughs> in front of the dates. Um, so he was probably the the greatest Christian scholar in the world uh, by his mid 30s. Perhaps um, even the greatest figure in the history of Bible translation. I mean, I I would challenge you to try to come up with somebody who was a, a bigger figure 
in the world of translating the Bible. Um, he spent Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson, message translation author. <laughs> yes, uh, hanging out in Sin Saloon. Nothing will beat that. Um, so he he spent three decades creating the Latin version uh, that would be the standard for more than a millennium. Uh, Jerome, however, was um, also as you mentioned last week with um, uh, John Chrysostom. He he was a, an extreme ascetic. Um, with a, a nasty disposition. Um, he often was pretty rude and sarcastic to some of his opponents, um, but he was somebody who, who really was strict in his asceticism and um, denying his body, denying his flesh. And I think it also, um, you know, was to his detriment later in life, much like John Chrysostom, much like a lot of people who, who lived that lifestyle. I'm pretty sure Luther was another one who had like what was maybe called irritable bowel syndrome today i think he, he might have had that back then um anyway we're talking about jerome so we'll we'll continue uh by saying that he was born to uh wealthy christian parents in dalmatia which is uh, sort of modern day slovenia uh, he was educated in rome where he studied grammar he studied rhetoric philosophy uh, he was baptized there in rome at the age of, of 19 like other students, Jerome followed his studies with travel. So he sort of went from place to place um, as he learned and grew and developed. Um, uh, but instead of discovering the sensuous pleasures of the empire, as they say, uh, Jerome found himself drawn to, again, the ascetic lifestyle. He met a lot of ascetics along the way, um, including those in um, what's now modern-day uh, Germany and Italy, uh, he joined a group of elite ascetics, actually. Um, among them was Rufinius, who was, a fa who was famous for his translation of, of Origen's works. Um, but the group disbanded in like 373. Um, and so Jerome resumed his travels, and this time taking a uncertain journey to become a hermit in the Holy Land. Um, so sort of leaving Rome, leaving um, where he had been living and, and making this, this pilgrimage to like Jerusalem, Bethlehem, um, different parts of the Holy Land. Um, so exhausted as one would be in his travels, uh, he only made it as far as Antioch, where he continued his studies in Greek. Uh, he even studied under Apollinarius um, of Laodicea. Um, oh, wow. That's who really was, interesting. Right. Who, if you don't know, he was, he was later condemned as a heretic for teaching Christ only had human flesh. Um, so sort of denying the, um, you know, the God man, uh, <clears throat> he didn't have a human mind or a human will, um, you know, just human flesh, which a little strange. Um, but his, his Greek studies were actually interrupted by a dream as all of our Greek studies are. Have you, have, have your Greek studies been interrupted by a dream yet, Lucas? I know you're taking Greek. No, they're just interrupted by me giving up and being <laughs> discouraged. <laughs> well, just call it a dream, and you can be like, Jerome here. Um, this is actually <laughs> apparently one of the most famous dreams in church history. Uh, during Lent in 375, he w in this dream, he was dragged before a tribunal of God. He was found guilty of preferring classic pagan literature to Christian literature. Um, and they apparently, like, his, his, uh, his judgment was, you are a follower of Cicero, not of Christ. That's what the judge said in this dream. Um, so he, wow. he was like shaken. He, he awakes from this dream and he vowed never to read or own pagan literature again. So if you own Harry Potter, if you own Chronicles of Narnia, you got, you better burn those books right now. Jerome would be incredibly upset with you. 
um, that's that's sort of like the takeaway. So I think we can just wrap it up now. Um, no Harry Potter. All right. Thank you for listening to the doxology. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so yeah. He 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 gives this vow that he's never going to read these things again. Although more than a decade later, he downplayed the dream and began to read read classic literature again. So <laughs> it, it it didn't last. So I guess you can pick up Harry Potter again. I'm on book seven. Why don't you join me on this journey uh, through Harry Potter? Um, so he he shuffled off into the Syrian desert, rediscovering the joys of an ascetic prison. Um, but as he says, with none of the uh, but sorry, without scorpions, without the wild beasts. Um, so you know, much of his older ascetic lifestyle was a little bit more rugged. This was a little bit more relaxed, if we can say. Can an ascetic lifestyle be relaxed? Mm. Not really sure. Um, he settled in what is known as Chalcis, um, but apparently. Again, he joined into some some more rigorous lifestyles, and it was too exhausting. He begged for um, begged for letters to save off his loneliness. Um, he hated the harsh desert food and could not find peace. Um, but here, he he actually learned Hebrew from a Jewish convert. He prayed. He fasted. He copied manuscripts. Uh, he wrote countless letters. And despite his repeated assurances that he was happy in this place called Chalcis. Uh, he returned to Antioch uh, just a few years later, uh, shortly after other hermits began to suspect Jerome was a secret heretic for his views on the Trinity, which some argued emphasized the unity at the expense of the thir- uh, of the three people. Um, so not having a unity and diversity, he was just focusing on uh, that, that unity. And so some of his fellow hermits were like, you're a heretic. We might have to do something about that. So... Uh, but by this point in his life, you know, he's, he's studied in Rome, he's studied Greek, he's studied Hebrew, he's done translation. Um, he was recognized as a, a, a really important scholar, a really an, uh, an important monk. Um, and so Bishop Paulinius uh, rushed to ordain him as a priest, uh, but the monk would only accept it on the conditions that he would never be forced to carry out priestly functions. Um, so I don't really know, like, I'll be yeah, a priest, but I'm not going to do any of any of my duties. Um, instead, Jerome plunged himself into scholarship, especially that of the Bible. He attended exegetical le- uh, lectures, he examined gospel parchments, and met other famous exegetes and theologians. Um, so, like, I don't know, picture going off to college and, you know, someone wanting to make you a priest or a pastor, and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I want those duties. Like, I like the title, but, like, I think I'll just throw myself into academia and so you start hanging out with like eugene peterson and <laughs> that's it you just get to hang out with eugene peterson um hey you i don't know you could do worse gk <laughs> beale and um you know all of lucas's profs at beeson um you go and hang out with these people you become very learned under them so by 382 he was summoned to rome to be secretary and one possible successor to pope damas damasus uh, but during his short time there, uh, Jerome offended the pleasure-loving Romans with his sharp tongue and blunt criticism. Um, as, again, probably we all do if we have Twitter these days. We probably offend a lot of people. Um, uh, as one historian puts it, he detested most of the Romans and did not apologize for detesting them. Uh, he mocked their clerics' last, uh, lack of charity, saying, I have not faith and mercy, uh, but such as I have silver and gold that I don't give to you either. Uh, he, he, <laughs> right? He, uh, he mocked their vanity, saying, the only thought of such men is their clothes. 
Uh, are they pleasantly perfumed? Do their shoes fit smoothly? <laughs> like, that's that's Same. kind of a, a good one-liner. Do you, hey, Lucas, do your, do your shoes fit smoothly? I'm, like, trying to picture <laughs> shoes in, like, the 300s. Um, he mocked their pride in their beards. Um, sorry that you had to shave yours, but he said, if there is any holiness in a beard, nothing is holier than a goat. <laughs> uh, what the heck, dude? Um, and he also mocked their ignorance of scripture, saying, it is bad enough to teach what you do not know, but even worse, not even to be aware that you do not know. I think that uh, could also be a little bit related like to that. Twitter today. Um, so he he even bragged of his influence, declaring... Uh, Damasus is my mouth. So again, that that Pope. Um, those who yeah. might have... <laughs> I don't like that one as much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those who might have supported him, though already skeptical of his interest um, in correcting the Bible, were put off when one of his female disciples died during a severe fast. Um, so, you know, again, I'm, I'm highlighting not just the good things, but some of the bad things that, that sort of happened under his care. Um uh, so when Damascus died in 384, Jerome fled Babylon, quote unquote Babylon, <laughs> uh, for the Holy Land. So he he left he left Rome, known as Babylon to him, quote unquote, and left for uh, you know Israel. Uh, so here, uh, a wealthy student of Jerome founded a monastery in Bethlehem um, for him to administer uh, basically like priestly duties, I guess. Um, it included three. Um, women, and also a hostel for pilgrims. Um, so here is where he finished his greatest contribution. It, it began in 382, um, but he began translating the Bible into everyday Latin. Um, you may know it as the Vulgate. Uh, that's basically a word that means common. Um, actually, if you if you read like, um, I'm trying to think, like the 1689 and the Westminster, I'm pretty sure when they talk about the Bible being translated, they talk about it being in the vulgar tongue. Um, vulgar doesn't mean like crude or harsh or inappropriate. It means common, and it's very similar here to, to Vulgate. Um, so as opposed to a Bible that no one can read or understand, um, you know, they, he wanted to have something that the common person, even if they were illiterate, um, that they could, if it was spoken, they could hear and understand. Um, though there were Latin versions available, they varied widely in accuracy. So he wanted to have something that was more concise, more true to the Greek and the Hebrew that he was really well versed in. Uh, so at first, Jerome worked from the Greek Old Testament. Again, if you know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but he's originally working from the Greek, um, uh, which is known as, as the Septuagint. Um, but he, he then established a precedent for later translators. Um, he, uh, the Old Testament would have to be translated from the original Hebrew. So in his quest for accuracy, he consulted many of the Jewish rabbis, um, some of the teachers and even common people in in the Holy Land for, you know, clarification. What does this word mean? What does this word mean? So, and, and the reason for doing that, like imagine in a modern day, imagine like you're going to write a Spanish translation of the Bible, but like you use English as the translation that you're translating from. Like it's not the best way to do translation. Um, the best translation is to translate from the original language so that you can get the nuance, you can understand um you know, maybe some of the inflection, some of the tone a little bit better, you know, because language is different. Uh, so that's something that he sort of set the precedent in. And, um, you know, many people have followed suit ever since um, to pick on Eugene Peterson again. I don't know how what he translated from. I have to imagine he just sort of made it up as he went. I kid. The message has a place. It's just not any place that. <laughs> yeah. But further, these are all just jokes. I, I, my understanding is it's not a translation. It's he a was he was paraphrasing it 
for his church, um, like for people in his in his church. And I think right. it does, like you said, it, it it does its place very well. But it it's just it should not be used just, for like it's all fun and games. Reading from the pulpit, you know, when in your preaching, um, it's in my opinion. But anyway, one of the biggest differences he saw between the Septuagint, so the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and the Hebrew original was that the Jews did not include the books known as the Apocrypha in their canon of Holy Scripture, which is also maybe a whole other episode that'd be fun to get into, is talking about the Apocrypha. Um, but he, Well, they were originally written in Greek, so... Right. That right. would be why. <laughs> right. And so, uh, though he still felt obligated to include them, um, Jerome made it clear that he thought them to be church books, but not fully inspired canonical books. And that's something that like the some of the reformers... Um, I guess, like, they would later remove them entirely. So, like, the, tr- the tradition today is most Bibles, if you're an English evangelical, you don't have the Apocrypha, and that sort of comes from the Reformation, but it was included for most of church history. So, um, after 23 years, Jerome completed his translation. I'm 25. How old are you, 24? Can you imagine spending, like, the entirety of what you've lived so far, basically, <laughs> like, translating the Bible? <laughs> Um, that's insane. Uh, so he completed the translation, um, and Christians used his, his Vulgate for more than a thousand years. Um, in 1546 at the Council of Trent, uh, it was actually declared the only authentic Latin text of the scriptures. Sadly, though, the text of the Vulgate that circulated throughout the Middle Ages was a corrupt form of Jerome's work. Um, so it was encumbered by copyist errors, um, there was some like really bad corrections from later publishers. Um, so Jerome's work became so widely revered that until the Reformation, translators worked from the Vulgate. And it actually wasn't, again, until some of the Reformation periods that people began to translate from the Greek and Hebrew again. Um, but ironically, Jerome's Bible added um, impetus to use the Latin as the Western church's language. So it's a little bit ironic that like he wanted... So instead of Greek, instead of Hebrew, instead of some of the other languages that people were speaking, he translates into Latin, and then his his translation becomes so popular that like Latin becomes the official translation and the official language of the church, which is the exact reason he was translating in the first place was to avoid a language that wasn't common to become right. like so like that's why in the Reformation people are like we need to have another common translation of the Bible. So you know Luther is translating into German. Uh, um, Calvin's translating into French. Like they're they're like these people don't speak Latin. They don't read Latin. We need something in their common tongue. So a little bit of irony there, but you know this is kind of what happens. Um, but basically, for Jerome, his scholarship gave him an appreciation of the Word of God that he carried for the rest of his life. He said, "Make knowledge of the Scriptures your love. Live with them. Meditate on them. Make them the sole object of your knowledge and your inquiries." And like, is there any? I guess like greater legacy to leave behind you know we you know we're here today we're gone tomorrow the the things that we do count for eternity and and even though jerome was a a very flawed man who had his imperfections he had things that were um you know probably his inconsistencies maybe even his subtle heresies um still mightily used by god um i mean just think of if something that you did lasted a thousand years i mean that's that's incredible that his Vulgate has lasted and is still used, I'm sure. Maybe not to the same extent, but um, he leaves a, a pretty profound impact on the church. So kind of fun to cover him. Yeah, no kidding. I Yeah, I, I didn't realize how much I didn't know about Jerome. Like, I, I, I knew, like, 
Jerome, Vulgate. And I thought that was kind of like, you know, that's it. What he what he did, but but you know, I should have known that there's a lot more to anybody's life, but that's yeah, quite an interesting quite an interesting life. So, thanks for sharing. Um, and thank you listeners so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Doxology podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, Hit us up on Twitter at Doxology Podcast or Instagram at Doxology Podcast or email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, ideas for future Christians from history. No Christians from prehistory, only Christians from history that you'd like us to cover. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter, get weekly updates, not spam, you know, everyday emails, just a weekly update with upcoming news, events or uh, episodes in the life of the podcast. And um, you can also please check out logos.com slash doxology podcast to, to learn more about our sponsor, Logos Bible Software. Um, we'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to uh, interact and get some feedback on what you thought about today's episode, what you think about what we're doing here that, on the podcast, whether it's Christians of History or our regular episodes, um, or both. Um, and the only other thing I'll say, this is a little off script, is um, we've been hitting some like numerical milestones recently. Yeah. And, um, I, I know there's been like a few social media posts and stuff. Um, not not we haven't done it, you know, talked about it a, a whole lot like publicly, but um, you know, Jen's especially keeps a close eye on things um, just to sort of see what's you know what the response is, you know, and and how people are liking it. And we just want to say like a huge thank you for all the people who have listened, whether you, this is, you know, today is the first time you've listened or you've been listening to every single episode or somewhere in between. Like we didn't really know what to expect when we started this. And I think (laughs) that we've been super surprised, super grateful, super excited about um, the chance we've gotten to, you know, at least in online world, meet new people. I know I have. um, Yeah. I think because of the podcast, you know, if not exclusively, at least partially. And it's been a, a really awesome experience to, to produce it and, and, you know, to plan for it and prepare and to record it week to week. And um, it's just super exciting. And something that I never thought I'd get to say is thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, um, and, it kind of blows yeah. my mind. We, I mean, we, especially the last month or so, our Tuesday episodes hit, really good strides. I mean, we had a hundred downloads in a day. We had 60 downloads in a day. We've had consistently 40 to 50, which like, you know, if you're a big podcast out there, that sounds like I get that in the first two minutes, but it's like, we, you know, we started from the ground up just kind of as like two people who wanted to talk about theology. So the fact that we have 3000 all time downloads, like that's 3000 times our episodes have been listened to, um, which that's significant. So yeah, I also yeah. want to say thanks. And it's, it's it's not about like oh good we're getting numbers you know soon we're gonna right. make that that podcast cash it, it's just about like this like numbers are so great because even though you can get caught up in them and totally just train wreck yourself <laughs> and your right. ego and everything they show you know this is something we can like actually see. we get to see almost in real time people tuning in on a Tuesday or a Thursday and we get to see you know the service we use, we get to see which episodes were listened to how many times and things like that. So it's like a really awesome way to kind of like, since we can't hear from everybody who's listening, we, we can still kind of see it and kind of see the, the 
that people are tuning in and, and that is a super exciting thing and a really humbling thing. Right. Um, and I, so to your yeah. point, like I think, I mean, it's great. I mean, the reason we do this podcast, one, we love talking about theology ourselves. Like just to think about the, the ways that I've grown personally just in the last several months, but like to think that there are people out there and I mean, you might know who you are. There are a number of people who have like expressed just like, you guys are really like, you know, talk about really interesting things. You have really cool things to say. You, help point me in directions that are really good and encouraging. So like the fact that there are people out there who, um, you know, maybe they already are Christians, but they're, they're growing in their faith. They're growing in their understanding of God's word, you know, much like Jerome said, like make ourselves students of, of God's word, meditate on his word. Um, you know, as a, as a, someone who used to be a youth pastor, I mean, that was something that I cared a lot about was students who would come to know God, to love him, not to just come to youth group to play games, but, um, you know, so to translate that, to translate that to this, like to, to have people who come to our podcast, you know, maybe they like our really dry humor, but like, you know, I hope that you're coming because it's um, encouraging, that it's edifying, that, that you're learning a little bit more about our savior. So that's, that's why we do this. Not for money, not for listens. Um, so yeah, definitely. So yeah, in, in summary, thank you. And we look forward to catching you in the next episode. Peace. Peace.